Welcome to The Gaslighting Effect. I'm Angela, writer, teacher, cult survivor. After decades of being silenced, I'm finally finding my voice. This episode, I am talking about what it was like to be a virginal Mormon bride who married a man who was also a virgin. I go over some pretty sensitive things, so if you are a minor, if you are under 18, this episode is really not intended for you to listen to. Also, if you're uncomfortable with discussions of sex or sexual matters, again, this episode is not for you to listen to. So I grew up in a way where my parents believed they were teaching us responsibility by not giving us guidance. So, for instance, when my older brother turned 14 and had to go to early morning seminary before school, they wouldn't drive him there. You know, it was about a 15-20 minute walk up to the church where seminary was, and it was his responsibility to walk up to the church each day to get there to seminary on time. And he had to do that for two years. When it came to homework, it was our responsibility to complete it. And what that meant was our parents really didn't help us and they didn't check our grades. And my little sister at one point had a very rough year where she was not okay and where she really needed counseling and where she was severely depressed and suicidal. And one of the signs that she was in trouble was that she was failing all her classes. And my parents didn't even know until teachers reached out to them and were like, hey, your daughter's failing. You know, they didn't even know because it was, as children in that family, it was our responsibility to take care of our grades without any help from them. And you know, it was older, my older brother's responsibility to walk to seminary 20 minutes away when my parents could have just woken up and driven him for two years every morning, like most parents would do. But they didn't see that as abdicating their parental responsibility. They really framed that as teaching our children how to be responsible. So going into my married life, uh, I've in the same sense felt that it was my responsibility to make my new husband happy. But I really didn't have a lot of guidance. Uh, I was given a couple of books to read and I read them. Um, But when your guidance to how to have sex is here are some books, read them, and you're not allowed to watch pornography, and you're not allowed to masturbate before you're married, and your husband, your new husband is also a virgin, that can make it really hard to know the best way to go about things. So I read what I could and I took on the responsibility of pleasing this man who I was going to marry, but I had no idea how. And the trouble really started before we got married because you're supposed to be able to talk to the person you marry about essential things like what they like or what they don't like 
But every time I opened the dialogue of sex up with my fiancé, I would just get a litany of things that he didn't want that I couldn't control. He would, he would obsess about whether or not my body was going to look the way he wanted it to. And of course, he didn't know how it looked without clothes because he'd never seen me naked. And, and he would obsess about the size of parts like my butt and whether or not it was too big and he would tell me that he didn't want to have to work too hard before we had intercourse because that would just that that would be really hard and that would be a lot of work you know touching you is work touching you a lot and getting you ready priming you that's going to be work and that was his mindset plus he was shamed hardcore shamed for masturbating growing up to the point that it stunted him sexually so here's how our wedding day went we dressed up in our beautiful clothes when we got into the temple you know me and my beautiful white flowing dress with my beads and my veil and and him in his tuxedo He wasn't actually allowed to wear the tuxedo until after the ceremony because you have to put all of these temple clothes over your wedding clothes when you get married in the temple, in the Mormon temple. Like there's a green apron and and just some very strange looking things. But the ceremony itself was fine. The ceremony was very beautiful. We knelt across from each other at this altar and we were surrounded by family and and it was a beautiful ceremony and i really felt like i was making a commitment not just for life but through all of eternity to this man that i loved and then after the ceremony this man who had for the most part been considerate of me and and planned nice dates and dinners and walks along the lake and beside the lake and and it, he was pretty romantic and and he held the door open for me and he was generally most of the time a pretty nice person before we got married despite the bizarre sexual conversations he seemed to turn into a different person right after the ceremony immediately after the ceremony when I met him after we'd both changed he became just viscerally angry in a very silent, brooding way. Like he didn't tell me he was angry, but I could tell he was angry because of how he carried himself. He was stiff, and he was stomping around, and he was scowling at me. And I didn't know why he was angry. And of course, I was smiling, and pictures were taken, so he would smile for the pictures, and then he would immediately have this very stone, stoic, demeanor and I could tell that he was angry now there's nothing that kills your sexual drive like anger let me tell you nothing and he felt like this was his day because this is the day that he was finally going to have sex and that's really what was making him angry we took all these pictures like you usually do after a wedding and we got into his car to to go home 
and he just let loose on me about how it had taken too long and he had waited all these years to have sex and now he had to take all these pictures and he had to do all this stuff for family and he had to play this part but all he wanted was to have sex. Now, to a certain point, I feel for him because I was 23 when I married him and he's four years older than me. He wasn't quite 27, I think he was 26 at the time. But can you imagine as a man in this culture that we live in, being a virgin at 26 because you have been told that the only time having sex is okay is once you're married. And so you've waited all these years and it's not even like a wait where you're allowed to look at porn and masturbate and stuff like most teenagers explore with, right? This, this is a man who was shamed so hardcore for masturbating when he was a teenager, he actually completely stopped doing it. So he went through all of his teenage years without masturbating. He went through his mission without masturbating. And the way he kept himself from masturbating was to shame himself, to intensely shame himself. So he wouldn't do it because shame will kill your sex drive. So he had built this moment up of getting married into the ultimate thing that he wanted more than anything else in life. And once we got there, we couldn't get to that moment fast enough when we could consummate our, our marriage. And so he was angry, viscerally angry, that it was taking us longer to get to the bedroom than he had wanted it to. And he was angry all the way on the drive home. And he was angry as, he, as we walked through the front door of our new home. And he was angry as we were getting undressed. And here I am, I'm a pleaser. My, my response to this kind of anger is to put on a smile and, and fawn and, and to really try and make up the deficit, make up the difference, please him, make him happy, make him stop being angry because I'm being so nice and so accommodating. How could you possibly be angry with me? So I just did everything that he wanted. And I put on a smile and I was relieved to get it out of the way because I was scared. I had never had anything like a penis inside of me. So um, it was, and I knew it was probably going to hurt. It's definitely going to hurt with someone who knows nothing about foreplay. So our first time was all about get it over with. And for me and for him, and he was incredibly disappointed because he didn't come. You know, um, it was an experience where I was relieved just because I felt like I got the pain and the blood out of the way. But he was frustrated because he wasn't able to, to come to orgasm or to completion. And he was not I don't know he was he was not happy and that anger at not coming to completion it sort of kept him in a bad cranky terrible mood for the rest of the day 
because we got dressed and then we went to the reception where again we had to smile and where people took pictures and we had to stand in a receiving line as people came through and we shake their hand and of course there's that myth that if you consummate before the reception everybody can tell but that's ridiculous but as a Mormon bride I really thought that was true and I remember being really embarrassed can these people tell can they can they tell that I'm a dirty slut 23 just married and couldn't even wait till the reception can they tell course they can't tell but our reception went into the evening and then we got into our car and we drove off and he was so angry still he was like we gotta hurry we gotta hurry we gotta get to the hotel I need to finish you know finish what I started we're gonna do this and he had parked his car somewhere that nobody knew about because he didn't want anyone decorating it with condoms so he had this plan where he had borrowed my dad's car and he drove it to the location where his car was and then he was going to pop the trunk and he was going to put our luggage into his car and then we were going to go to the hotel it was very clever except someone screwed the plan up and they loaded our luggage into the wrong car so he gets to his car and he pops the trunk and there's no no luggage in the back and he started cussing banging on the steering wheel he was so angry and I was terrified and he just you know your parents your dad screwed this up and he had some choice words that were quite a bit more vitriolic than that that I will not repeat and he was cussing and swearing and saying nasty things about my parents all the way back from the car ride from his car back to the church where we had the reception and then he got out of the car and put on a smile and acted all pleasant like a completely different person for my parents and got his luggage and then when he was back in the car with me and we were driving back angry again taking it out on me insulting my family just on and on and on like a different person like a man I had never met before and that should have clued me in that that marriage was not going to be a good marriage but I really didn't know that that wasn't normal I'd been told my whole life that marriage was hard and this was hard so I mean clearly if I couldn't handle it there was something wrong with me right Looking back, I see how messed up that is, but that's really how I saw it then. So he's driving me. We're driving to the hotel, and he's just angry, fuming. And we get there, and I'm like, do we have to do, do we have to do this tonight? Because we're tired, you're angry, we have to do this tonight. It was really important to him. I, I, we didn't have a choice. It had to be done. So, of course, the clothes came off. And I didn't know where my clitoris was. Granted, my Mormon gynecologist with terrible bedside manner had shown me where it was. He'd actually put a mirror up and he had pulled the hood of skin back from it. And he had shown me where it was in really kind of a shocking way. 
and told me that I needed to know where it was in order to please my husband. But after he had done that, I had never been able to find it, (laughs) which is embarrassing. And my new husband wanted to know how to get me ready, how to get me wet. And so he went down there and he tried to find it and he didn't know where it was and I didn't know where it was and he was just sort of rubbing and doing who knows what and and I kept hyperventilating thinking that you know if he does it enough maybe I'll have this thing called an orgasm I don't know what that's supposed to feel like but maybe it's this feeling of being lightheaded because I'm hyperventilating I kept hyperventilating and getting lightheaded, and I thought maybe that was an orgasm, which now I know it's not, not even close. But back then, I didn't know what an orgasm felt like. I didn't even know how to masturbate. So here he is trying all this stuff with his hands, and he's getting more and more and more frustrated because clearly I'm not coming, and I'm not orgasming, and I don't know where my clitoris is, and he's asking me to give him instructions, and I can't. Because, listeners, I don't even know how to masturbate. How on earth would I give him instructions on how to make me feel good? He's getting more and more frustrated. And he's blaming it on me. In the meantime, I'm trying to fake an orgasm. Very first night, I'm trying to fake it because I just want him to stop. I want him to stop because it doesn't feel good. It feels uncomfortable and I'm getting lightheaded and I'm doing this weird laughy thing that you do when you hyperventilate and it's not pleasant and I just want it to stop. So maybe if he believes that I'm having an orgasm, maybe he'll just move on to his part and it'll just stop. And he keeps asking me, is that an orgasm? Is that an orgasm? And all I can say is, I I think so. I I don't know. So I finally convince him that whatever this thing I'm having must be an orgasm. <laughs> oh my god, this is so embarrassing. And he decides that it's his turn. He gets on top. And he tries the hardest that he can. <laughs> Bad pun. Not even intending for that to be a pun. You know, he's trying to come and he still can't get there. And the fact that he can't get there is my fault. Because obviously, if I knew what I was doing, if I knew how my own body worked, if I knew how to be pleased and have an orgasm, then he would have gotten there. But I don't even know how to do that. And at this point, he is so angry. He puts his clothes back on and he goes on a walk and leaves me alone, standing there naked in a hotel room by myself. And I'm sitting Indian style in front of the full-length mirror next to the bathroom. Indian style with my fingers between my legs. Searching desperately for my clitoris. Because I don't know where it is. (laughs) And I find it. Sort of, I think I found it. I mean, there's that hood. There's that skin thing that the gynecologist had pulled back. 
and shown me, but I can't seem to dig in there deep enough to pull it out, whatever it is. You know, he acted like it was just like this little button that you play with. We know now that that's not true. And looking back, what a painful start to a honeymoon. (laughs) My whole honeymoon was a variation on this night. I had bought things that I thought that he would like. I had bought a swimsuit with a thong bottom because he had specifically asked for that. I had bought lingerie that I thought that he that he would that would look good on me, but every time I tried this lingerie on for him, he would say things like, "Wow, I didn't realize your butt was so big." <laughs> or, "Oh, I I thought that would look better on you than it does." Um, there were a few times on the honeymoon where I was, you know, trying to do sort of a sexy dance for him. And he would be like, please don't do that again. You don't know how to dance in a sexy way. Uh, the few times that I really tried to be on top because he wanted me on top. Uh, I would find a position that that would work in terms of fit. And then he would tell me that that it, he wanted me to stop because he didn't like, he didn't like me being on top. You know, he would ask for it and then he would say it wasn't good enough. He would ask me to do a strip tease and then he would say I didn't know how to do a strip tease. He would ask me to wear a certain outfit and then he would tell me it didn't look sexy enough on me. Everything I tried and I was very open to trying all kinds of things on my honeymoon with him. I was told that I was deficient as a partner. And we were trying two to three times a day, which is really a lot. And he did get to a point where he was eventually able to get there pretty regularly. But any time he couldn't get there, it was always my fault. I was always made to feel that it was my fault. And so often he would put on his clothes and storm out of where we were in anger and I would be left just staring at myself naked in the mirror feeling like a failure. So we were both virgins in a culture that put the responsibility on the woman to please the man. So it wasn't just that he bought into this idea that it was my job to know how to please him. It was that I bought into this idea that I should know how to please him. And there was no way I could possibly have been the worldly, sophisticated, sexual siren that he needed me to be. You know, if I had been an inexperienced woman, sorry, something in my throat. If I had been an experienced woman, a worldly woman, who knew how to dress in a way that was sexy and how to talk in a way that was sexy and how to move and dance in a way that was sexy, and if I knew all kinds of things about positions and the way to move that feels good or the way even to touch men, things that women learn who are more worldly and who date a lot, I probably could have been a better sexual partner for him. 
But there was no way that I could know those things growing up how I did, where my entire value was in being able to maintain my virginity for 23 years. And he didn't have the patience for me to learn. So it took us about 10 years till we got to a point that sex was even remotely enjoyable and even at that point I never really had orgasms I didn't have an orgasm until after I had divorced him and was dating someone else Um, but it wasn't because I didn't try I did I tried really hard and broken as I was he was also broken but in a different way. So you remember how I said earlier that his sexuality was stunted by how severely he was shamed as a teenager? Let me give you a few more specifics. When my husband would watch porn, which was considered a sin in our religion, he would watch it and then he would come to me afterwards and he would tell me that he wanted me to slap his hand slap my hand because I have sinned and the only way I can feel good about myself again is if you slap my hand that's what he told me I was supposed to act like his mother and punish him for watching porn and it wasn't because my punishing him somehow made him more attracted to me or somehow was something he got off on. He didn't. He didn't get off on it. He just felt so guilty and so shameful that he wanted someone to take the pain away, to take that shame away. And the only way that he could conceive of having that shame taken away was if I, his wife, physically punished him for watching porn. That is messed up. I didn't even care. Granted, I was a Mormon wife, and I had been told that porn was evil too, but I never really took it that personally. I didn't feel like it was about me. I didn't feel like his weakness in that area, because I did see it as a weakness at the time because I was devoutly Mormon, but I didn't feel like that was my problem or had anything to do with me whatsoever. And I certainly didn't want to be put in a position where I had to be his mother or his priest or his bishop who had to somehow make him feel better by punishing him. So there was that. And then some other things that were very strange, which indicated how stunted he was sexually, was that things had to feel dirty and sinful to him in order for him to enjoy them. So... He felt like he he couldn't really get off unless he felt like he was humiliating me. So um, he would have, we would role play and I would pretend like 
I was some in some kind of subordinate position to him and I was being forced to strip in front of him and he would get off on that or he would turn off all the lights in the house and then he would go out in the yard with binoculars and he would make me take my clothes off in the house and he would see if he could see me naked inside and that would get him off or just knowing that I was naked inside and the fact that he was out in the yard looking inside trying to see me, that would get him off. At one point, I made him porn. Like I actually made pictures for him because he felt so ashamed of his porn, watching it every once in a while, and I didn't want him to feel that shame. I figured if he had pictures of his wife, that maybe he wouldn't feel ashamed and it would be okay. So I actually made him porn. And he helped me make the porn. And we did it together and it was a project. And that was not a bad idea. And we put it on a thumb drive. And then he never wanted to watch the porn unless he thought that I would be angry with him. Or he thought that he was getting away with something. So he never wanted to watch it with me or in a way that was consensual, he only wanted to put the thumb drive in and look at the porn when I wasn't in the room, or when I was putting the kids to bed, or when I was doing some activity where I wouldn't be aware that he was looking at the porn. And then I would walk in afterwards and he'd be like, huh, guess what I was just looking at. And he, it was like, he felt like he wanted me to feel like he had invaded my privacy and the only way that he could get off was if I felt like he had somehow invaded my privacy which again goes back to that him being shamed as a child and him connecting shame to sex someone has to feel ashamed someone has to feel humiliated in order for sex to be arousing that's how it was for him he wanted me to go out into the backyard and take my clothes off in front of him um, and the fact that it was outside that would get him off just the fact that someone might inadvertently step on their back porch at any moment and maybe see something they weren't supposed to see that would get him off. So there was some exhibitionism there. There was some voyeurism. There was a need for him to feel in charge and on top and like he was humiliating me and like he was invading my privacy. And then when we were doing things, trying new things that were really pretty basic, like oral sex, he would make me feel dirty and gross. Like if I went down on him, I had to brush my teeth before I could kiss him. And that just made me feel, that's a small thing, listeners, it's a really pretty small thing to make someone brush their teeth before they kiss you. But it made me feel really small and really dirty. And it made sex unpleasant for me and humiliating and to the point that I really think it kept me from 
being able to reach orgasm. Because how do you feel connection with somebody that has to denigrate you and humiliate you in order to enjoy sex? How do you do that? I don't think it's possible. Um, He would also keep his clothes on a lot and expect me to take all my clothes off. There just wasn't wasn't a connection. There wasn't intimacy in an act which is really supposed to be the most intimate act that you can perform with someone. And then afterwards, he would always refuse to snuggle. Like, refuse to the point that he would put a whole line of pillows down the middle of the bed so I could not touch him after sex. So... Your sex life might be messed up if your husband refuses to touch you after sex and refuses to snuggle, if he has to humiliate you, if he makes you feel like a piece of shit for sleeping with him. Um, I mean, I could go into more, like the fact that I wasn't really allowed to say no. But that probably deserves its own podcast episode. I think what I've covered here is enough to sort of paint what sexual abuse looks like and what it felt like for me being married to someone like that for 14 years. Um, I really, you know, I wanted to like sex. And I wanted to love my husband. And I wanted things to work between us. And I did my best. But at the end of the day, he was so broken. And I don't even think it's all his fault. I mean, he grew up in that culture and he was deeply shamed as a teenager. But he was so broken. I could not fix him. And... Even fixing myself as far as I possibly could, I could not make that sexual relationship work. And I would urge you listeners that if you're in a sexual relationship like this, that that in and of itself is probably enough to end it. I really don't think we were compatible. But we had no way of knowing we weren't compatible until we got married. And at that point, it was too late. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining me on the Facebook page called Spotlight on Spiritual Abuse. You can message me there or post. And remember to always trust your instincts. Don't let others tell you how to think.